Hey there, welcome to Pickled Parables. This podcast is presented by Parable Ministries as a Bible teaching resource. Thank you for joining us. Pickled Parables is a podcast about taking in and living out the Bible. Here we will study, contemplate, and testify to the Bible's incredible teachings and how it leads us to live better lives. To stay up to date with all things Parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries and visit our website at parableministries.com. We hope today's message finds you well. Well, today we're going to look at a very well-known story. So well-known, in fact, that most of you probably have heard this story many times through Sunday school or just growing up. And that is the story of Moses and the Ten Plagues. Now, I don't have time, though I wish I did, to go through and look at every single plague and their significance. But I wanted to give a brief overview of what God has been teaching me through this story. And like many of you, I have read and heard this story many times growing up, but going back and studying this passage, there was much to learn. Before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I wanted to give you guys a brief background and context for the story that we will be looking at today. So there was this group of people called the Israelites. The Bible often refers to this group as God's chosen race or his chosen people. And the reason for that is because he had chosen this specific group of people to bring about the Savior of the world. God would send his son Jesus through the line of David to save us from our sins and death itself because he, being God, deeply desires a relationship with you. Now, the whole thing with the Israelites is that they were a people set apart to be holy. Since the Savior of the world would come through them and God in his wisdom set these guidelines for them to follow in order for that to happen. And the Israelites were many. They were a great nation and a growing nation for that matter. And as they grew as a people, kings and oppressors began to fear them because of their massive population. They just seemed to be growing, and a huge part of that was because of God himself. Actually, all of it was. God was blessing their generations and increasing their number continuously. And so the Israelites came to Egypt through a man named Joseph, who you can read about in the book of Genesis. And basically, long story short, he was an Israelite who rose to power in Egypt and was a godly, benevolent leader who feared Yahweh, or the God of the Hebrews. But once Joseph was gone, there arose this new king, or Pharaoh, over Egypt. Now, Pharaoh was viewed by the Egyptians as basically God. He was their king, their ruler, their commander, and his word was law. So Pharaoh feared the people of Israel due to their massive numbers. He feared that Israel is too many and too mighty, and that lest they multiply and war breaks out, they will join Egypt's enemies and defeat the Egyptians and leave the land. And so Pharaoh, fearing these Israelites decided to make them slaves, to oppress them and make them build his cities and farm his land. Essentially, he created a prison camp for the Israelites and trapped them in Egypt. The idea was to oppress the Israelites to the point where it would be difficult for them to multiply. But during all this oppression, God was continuing to increase their generations as he had promised. And again, long story short, The people of God, his chosen race, 
were in deep suffering and turmoil. For years and years, they cried out to God for help with seemingly no response in the near future. But as we know, God had other plans. And that is where Moses comes in. Again, I wish I had time to look at the whole story of Moses and the Exodus thereafter, but we simply don't have time and that's really okay. And so Moses was the guy that God chose to bring Israel out from their suffering. He was the one whom he chose to use to show his power and his divine authority. It says in Exodus 3, verse 24 through 25, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And this is one of my favorite parts in this entire story. God remembered his covenant. He saw the suffering of his people, and he just knew. He knew that his people were suffering. He knew exactly what he was going to do. He knew that it was time to rescue his chosen race and show to them and to Pharaoh his, sov- his sovereignty and glory. And that's exactly what I want you guys to leave with. If you get anything out of the story of the ten plagues and the exodus, it's that God is sovereign, that he does what he wills and deems worthy, and his glory will be displayed and made known throughout the world. Look at what Exodus chapter 3 verse 7 says. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. You see, guys, God was beginning his story in the lives of the Israelite people. He was bringing them and promising them the promised land which they wouldn't actually see for a long time, but he had good things in store for them. Look at what God says in verse 15. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God was determined to make a large impact on both the Egyptians and Israelites in a beautiful and graphic display of his glory that would be be remembered for all ages to come. Like he's saying, look, my name is Yahweh, or to be. I will be the only God you serve. I am who I am, and I am the one true God. God, I am a jealous God, and you are all going to see it. That's the message for the story today. It's important to note that God has already predetermined to harden Pharaoh's heart and kill his son from the moment he sent Moses to Egypt. His end goal was to essentially harden Pharaoh's heart to the point where he would kill his son, and then and only then would Pharaoh let the people of Israel go. 
Exodus chapter 4, verse 21 says, And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Now, I want to take a brief moment and pause for a second to look at this. Like you, I had slash have the question of why God deliberately chose to harden Pharaoh's heart and why did he mention so many times and why did he mention it so many times throughout the 10 plagues? This is a vitally important part of the story and something I don't want to overlook. The author deliberately wants us to see that God hardened Pharaoh's heart multiple times. There were even times where Pharaoh agreed to let the people go, but only on his conditions, and that wasn't the deal. The deal was to let God's people go, to take everything they had with them and go far into the wilderness to worship. But Pharaoh wanted other conditions if he was going to let them go, and God was like, nah, it's either all or nothing. Thus, he continued to harden his heart. And as we just read from the passage, God had already intended to harden his heart, Pharaoh's heart, all the way to the point of God killing his firstborn son and all the firstborns of Egypt, for that matter. He was going to inflict judgment upon Egypt through the rest of the nine plagues, and Egypt was going to understand just who God was. Now, did he have to do it this way? No. But he did, and that's the way he chose to do it. That is the point in why God hardened Pharaoh's heart and why he chose to do it that way. It is intimately related to the sovereign display of God's power. Nobody but God let the Israelites go. It was God and him alone that brought them out of Egypt through his fear-inspiring acts of judgment on the Egyptians. God is sovereign, and in his sovereignty, there are many mysteries and unanswered questions. But what you need to know and what you need to understand is that God chose to do it this way because he is God. He chose to show us the display of his mighty power in the way that he did because he simply can. When and if you ever become God, then I guess you can decide how you write your story and how you want to go about doing it. But nonetheless, God's infinite power and glory were displayed through Moses through this way. And ultimately, it was God alone who saved Israel. And I think that's the whole point, is that it was nobody else but God who brought Israel up out of the land of Egypt. It wasn't Pharaoh. It wasn't through his conditions or his standards, but it was God and him alone. I think that chapter 6 sums this up pretty well. It says, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. 
Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. Listen, guys, it says, I will be your God, and you shall know that I am Yahweh, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. That's it right there. To show the Israelites that Yahweh is worthy of praise, that Yahweh is all-powerful and all-knowing, that Yahweh, not anyone or anything else, saved them. It was all in order to simply display God's might and glory to reveal to us his character and who he is. I think it's important to note God's character here. Sometimes, especially in our culture today, we put God in this box. Okay, We say, oh, he is love, he is mercy, he is gentle, he is still or in the stillness. We sometimes put this inaccurate weight on God that shouldn't be there. We put him in these separate boxes and say he's, he's mercy at this time or he's just love at this time. In a way, sometimes we feel protected uh, because we're, we're Christians and in truth we are because of Jesus and what he has done. But let us not forget this God, this God that we see here today, the God who caused immense destruction on the people of Egypt, the God who brought his wrath on Pharaoh himself, this God who has righteous anger. Let us not forget that the God we serve should be feared above all else. We can't simply put God in this box. He is love, he is mercy, but he's also judgment, he is also wrath, he is also a righteous anger all at the same time. I think that's something that I don't do enough or understand fully enough, right? Like, do you fear God? Do you fear and respect and worship him because he can wipe out a whole civilization civilization in the blink of an eye? while at the same time sacrificing his only son to save everyone who dares believe. Can you wrap your mind around the fact that God is a jealous God, a God of righteous anger, while at the same time knowing he is a God of mercy and wonder and forgiveness? I know that I sure have a hard time with that. And hopefully the story today helps you understand just a little more of who he is. And as I was doing my research for this lesson, and as Jesse pointed out to me, the ten plagues have a significant meaning themselves. A part, and I emphasize part here, but a part of the reason we see these specific plagues in the Bible are because of the various Egyptian gods. I want to briefly run through them and go over them and their impact on the plagues and then talk about why they have importance and what kind of the whole point here is. I'm just going to run through them all at once to give you the the scope and then go back and briefly talk about them. In the first plague, when uh, Moses, he turns water into blood, um, that is the representation of Happy or Apis, which is the bull god. Also, please forgive my pronunciation of these gods as I am sure 
going to botch their names. Um, but Apis was the god of the Nile. Isis was the goddess of the Nile. There was also another god, uh, Kinnum, who was the ram guard god and the guardian of the Nile. Uh, we have the plague of the frogs, which represents the god of Hecate or um, the goddess of birth, of water, of renewal. Uh, and this god actually had a frog head. Um, that was what the Egyptian god actually looked like um, himself. Uh, we have the plague of the gnats, which was uh, the god of Set, who was the god of the desert storms. And we also have Geb, the Egyptian god of the earth. The plague of the flies represents Kepri, or the Egyptian god of creation, movement of sun, of rebirth. And this god actually had the head of a fly. The death of the livestock uh, represents Hathor, the Egyptian goddess of love and protection, who had the head of a cow. We also have Apis again, the bull god, which was the symbol of fertility for the Egyptians. When uh, Moses, or when God brought boils upon the Egyptians, um, many gods refer to um, healing goddesses and gods, which was Isis, who was a healing goddess. There was Sekhmet, the goddess with power over diseases, and there was Sunu, which was a pestilence god. When hail was brought forth on the earth, um, Nut was the sky goddess, Osiris was the god of crops and fertility, and again we have Set, who was the god of the desert storms. When God sent locusts to the Egyptians, uh, Seth, who was the god of storms and disorder, and we have Osiris, god of the crops and fertility, yet again. When darkness came upon the earth, uh, that represented Ray, the sun god, or Horus, a sun god as well. And then we have Hathor, who is a sky goddess. And the last plague, um, which was the death of every firstborn child in Egypt, or son in Egypt, I should say, um, that represented a couple things. First of all, Pharaoh, who was the ultimate power of Egypt. Um, Min, who was the god of reproduction. Um, Hecate, who we saw earlier, who was the goddess who attended women at childbirth. Isis, the goddess who protected children, and Pharaoh's firstborn was also considered to be a god or godlike himself. As you guys can see, there are multiple Egyptian gods for the various aspects of life in the physical realm, whom these Egyptians would worship and whom they would relate um, these plagues to. What people don't often realize about this story is that God or Yahweh was and is determined to show to us that he is the only true God and the only one worthy of our praise. And that's something that the Egyptians just didn't grasp. In afflicting these specific ten plagues on the Egyptian people, they would have recognized and undoubtedly had prayed to each of their gods to save them from their turmoil, when in reality it was the Hebrew God alone who was the only one that could take away the plagues and anguish that he had sent upon them. Now, we don't know for absolute certainty that this was the reason for God choosing the plagues in the way that he did and, and why he did it. It does, however, mention briefly in chapter 12 that God will execute judgments on all the gods of Egypt. And what this, at the very least, tells us is that all these other gods that the Egyptians worshipped would have been proven to be false gods at this point. Here were these magicians calling on their gods to replicate the plagues, and yet only Yahweh 
could take away each plague. That's the other amazing thing about the story. Some of the magicians could replicate the snake, the water and the blood, and the frogs, but only the one true God could actually take the plagues away. The magicians merely produced a well-crafted copy. Again, it is a cool fact to know that historically there were hundreds of Egyptian gods in which the people of the land worshipped and knew well. God knew that by the display and control of such gods, he would prove himself to be above these gods and thus denounce their abilities and so-called sovereign power. But listen, guys, I don't want you to move away from the main focus because that in and of itself is not the main focus of this passage, of this story. The main takeaway, again, guys, is this. Chapter 9, verse 16 says, But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. That's the whole point to the story, guys. That's why we as Christians exist. This constant display of God's power shows us his character and heart. Did you guys know that not a single Israelite that we know of or that the Bible mentions was harmed during the ten plagues? And that's because they were obedient and because God was on their side. They were his chosen people, his chosen race. They were not even touched by his affliction on the Egyptians. Guys, this is literally so cool. It shows us that after years of crying out to God, it was and is him who gets revenge. It is God who fights our battles for us and in huge and big ways. God looks out and protects his people. How much more do you think he will love, protect, and save you when you obey and love him? Look, guys, there, there is so much more to be gained and to be seen from this story. And I'd encourage you all, if you have, to go back and reread the story and look for clues into God's character and what it says about who he is. And if you haven't read the story yet, I would encourage you to do so. And see the God of the Hebrews, Yahweh I am, which means to be, unfold in a magnificent display of glory, of sovereignty and love, all at the same time. Never forget that it is God and Him alone that does His work in your life. It is Him, it is God who brings it to completion on the final day, and it is Yahweh that is worthy of all our praise, not just some of it, not just a few mentions and praises here and there, but all of it. But this God, my God, is worth all your time, all your effort, and all your worship. See how he blesses you for it. See what he does in your life when you put him first before anything else. Thank you for listening to Pickled Parables. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us, subscribe, and share with your friends. If you're interested in more things like this, check out our secondary podcast called My Dusty Bible. To stay up to date with all things parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries and visit our website at parableministries.com. Parable is a volunteer organization, and we would deeply appreciate your prayers. Thank you for joining us today. We'll catch you later.